Hello, welcome to the SCU Buzz podcast. It's Yaz with you and today's a very exciting one. We are joined by Desiree Kozlovsky. Now she is no stranger to Southern Cross University. She has a first class honours degree and a PhD in psychology. In 2015, she was awarded the Southern Cross University Vice Chancellor's Citation for Excellence in Student Engagement for her teaching. And she's currently a senior lecturer at Southern Cross University, as well as absolute royalty in the Twitter sphere. I had a bit of a stalk and one of the most valued people in the world right now as mental health is a big topic as we suffer through this pandemic. Welcome, Desiree. Great to have you on board the SCU Buzz podcast. Thank you, Yasmin, and I hope you don't mind if I make a gif out of you saying that I'm one of the most valuable people in the world. You are. No, seriously, (laughs) because... Our mental health during COVID has definitely taken a toll. You know, there's a reason they upped the free sessions from 10 to 20. And I think, you know, it's almost skimmed past in the frontline hero category, psychologists. Absolutely. It's something that's, um, you know, people are being, uh, um, they're just having burdens thrust upon them from so many different areas. If it's not illness itself, it's, you know, lockdowns. If it's not lockdowns, it's um, impacts on income. Uh, Those of us who live on the east coast of Australia uh, are seeing, you know, housing prices skyrocket. If you happen to find your lease run out, uh, you're looking at much higher rents. All of these things are very, very real. It's It's not that we're all imagining it. We're living in tough times. Yeah, definitely. I've seen a lot of anti-lockdown people wanting to highlight this um, and mental health struggles, but then I've seen the opposite as well. And people kind of diminish the fact that our mental health is suffering for those that are uh, pro-lockdown. Not that you can be pro-lockdown, but I guess advocating health and the need for it. Where would you stand with that sort of communication on our mental health with the pandemic? Look, where I stand with that, Yasmin, and it's a really valuable observation that you're making, but I think what is ideal is if we can all just understand that everybody's afraid, Mm -hmm. everybody's suffering, and there is no truth really. Like, yes, People are saying, well, you know, we have to open up, you know, the economy and, and the cost of that is, is potentially in health. Protecting everybody's health, the cost of that is potentially, you know, people being locked down, deprived of social connection, um, not able to work and at, at real risk of, of um, financial and, and social impacts in their lives that are truly serious. So, I don't really think I have a particular position myself, but I think that while we're polarised, it's just eating away at us even more. I'm feeling, you know, having a go at people in the other camp and and digging in even even more firmly, it's, it's almost like we're clinging 
to want to believe that there's an absolute truth and that that's our opinion is absolute truth and anybody else's opinion is is therefore able to be discounted um, i don't i think we have to accommodate a bit more nuance than that yeah that's such a good point um, so your research interests involve uh, pleasures, emotional intelligence and gender roles. And first up, I want to talk about pleasures with you, because what do you define as pleasure? Because my brain and I know I probably shouldn't be saying this, but I instantly go to the sexual area when I hear the word pleasure. But what do you classify as pleasure? Well, that's undeniably a lovely place to go for pleasure, Yasmin. <laughs> I think that you, you're making some good life choices there. <laughs> it's just like I am, so you know how, Absolutely. And a lot of people say that. So they're the two biggest things that people think about, I think, when I say, yes, my area is pleasure, is definitely sexual or sensual pleasure. And the other is food. People mm. quite regularly talk about oh chocolate <laughs> or something <laughs> like that so I think these are the ones that are real front of mind for us when when we think about pleasure but I'm encouraging people to look far more broadly and in more detail at their lives and an example that I quite often use and something that's so strong for me is the pleasure of a warm shower like ever since I was a kid I think you mean you can just walk into that room and like unlimited warm water and you can just stand in it. It's just so impossibly beautiful and luxurious. And I used to think, no, they can't allow that. They can't allow such decadence, to, you know. And I think that we often take things for granted that are actually wonderful, you know, to, to feel the sun in winter on your shoulders or something like that is just so beautiful. And I guess if, the, if there's a message that anyone takes from this, it's the power of bringing our attention to those small, simple, accessible pleasures. That has a lot of power in terms of our frame of mind um, if we practice savouring those small pleasures in our lives, we, we have evidence. I've worked with honours students and, and my own research indicates that it leads to decreased perceived stress. So even if bad things are still going wrong, it doesn't get to you as much. This is also linked to resilience. And we have evidence that uh, people who tend more to savour the small pleasures in their lives have higher resilience. So, mm. again, even when things are going wrong, which makes this a, a really important message for right now, um, if we can engineer more moments of small pleasure into each day, we will weather the storm uh, uh, a lot more easily. So how would one go about implementing that on a day-to-day -day basis? Like what are some strategies that we could use to kind of appreciate the hot shower? Exactly. So um, there's a bunch of things, you know, I could go on about this all day as, yeah. as all researchers could about their area, but uh, there's a bunch of things to think about. And, and when I talk about savouring, there's kind of three aspects to that. One is anticipatory pleasure. 
So we can think, oh, I'm going to get into that warm shower or, oh, I'm going to make myself a coffee or, or I'm going to see a puppy today. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's always fun, isn't it? You know, yeah. so, so that's that anticipatory pleasure. Then there's the pleasure in the moment, kind of relishing that moment. And my challenge is for people to bring in extra senses to the pleasures that they're experiencing. So you mentioned sexual pleasure, you know, think about how things are sounding. You know, we don't think about that so much, but bring all of your senses to an experience to sort of maximise that immersion in the pleasurable moment. And we can do that just as easily if we're out in nature, you know, listen in nature, smell, you know, touch the trunk of the tree or, or the silky grass, just, just really immerse ourselves in the experience. And the third element is reminiscing about it. So, you know, when we get home, we can make a cup of tea and think, oh, I just remember how soft that puppy was or how, you know, it was bounding around and it was such fun or, or how my friends and I laughed when such and such happened. All of those things are, are pleasures that, that nourish us as humans, that enhance our lives. And if we can bring our attention more carefully to them and engineer them into our day, it brings a whole bunch of benefits. Wow, the reminiscing part of that really fascinates me because that's one I wouldn't have thought of because, you know, my head, I'm always looking into the future of what yeah. about this, what about this, but actually reminiscing, that's a really good point to make. And, yeah, I don't think we do that enough. Um, you also invite people to think differently about what is good for us. So kind of along the same path. But in this, does that mean chocolate could now be good for us? Can we classify that? Well, I, I talk often about rational pleasures. And that's where, um, where the benefits of this pleasure uh, outweigh any potential risks. So if you're mm. eating lots of chocolate, really lots of chocolate, <laughs> I, I'm going to challenge you and say that you're probably not savouring it. Right. You know, so uh, people often say too, like, Oh, but isn't it just if you have more pleasure, isn't it like addictive behavior? And no, absolutely not. In fact, we have psychological instruments to measure those maladaptive uses of otherwise pleasurable things. And, and they actually don't correlate with our savoring. What we actually find is people who are doing too much of these things are not generally savoring. So I'll, I'll come back to that savoring and say rather than eating a, you know, half a kilo of chocolate, go and, go and find the best chocolate that you love the most and have one or two of those and really, you know, put them on a nice plate, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, but also expand your repertoire of pleasures. So if you're relying too much on chocolate or anything else, you know, comfort food, that kind of stuff, Think about, wow, could I, I don't know, go and walk in nature instead? Yeah. Because generally we'll feel better from doing that for a longer time. Yeah. I'm definitely guilty of eating a whole block of chocolate in one sitting and I've worked out the more people I tell, it's actually a big skill. Like not many people can do it and I'm just. Oh, I can do it, Yasmin. 
<laughs> and doing it occasionally, like any of these things, is fine. It's just when it, when rationally you think, okay, I'm eating too much chocolate. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm substituting chocolate for other things that I could mm. be getting more pleasure and more benefit from. That's yeah. that's when it's time to bring our rational mind in and go, okay, what are some things I haven't done for a long time? Skip you know, skip down the path or, you know, lie on your back and watch the clouds and turn them into animals. (laughs) Wow, I haven't skipped in ages. Okay, I'm going to skip instead of eat chocolate. Okay, and buy buy some bubble mix. There's nothing like blowing bubbles. So much fun. I like this. Um, So you've also been doing a lot of work with gender roles and you're in a huge project at the moment called Towards Gender Harmony. Harmony. Yes. What would gender harmony look like for society? What does that mean? I think think we haven't really seen it yet, Yasmin, Mm. so we might not recognise it, but... um, I think working toward an understanding. So when, I, when I'm talking about gender roles, I'm talking about those things that are expected of us because of our apparent gender. So if I am a woman, you know, along with that goes a whole bunch of societal expectations. And some of those I've probably internalised so that I actually think that's who I am and who I should be and that's what makes me a good person. Um, so it's that that kind of those often stereotypical roles that um, we look at in quite a lot of detail. And the Toward Gender Harmony project originated in Poland, actually, and um, uh, actually, to be honest, I don't know how many uh, countries have ended up getting involved, but w- we definitely have, and we've got the last paper we published included data from 62 countries, wow. um, but there were a few countries still finishing off, so I'm not quite sure how many will be in our final papers, but we're looking at things like, um, you know, Uh, men's allyship, so the extent to which men support um, equality and equitable rules and all of that for for women. And we found some interesting cross-cultural stuff, but I've done a bunch of of studies in this area and um, I have to say that um, for non-men, so that that includes... um, women and non-binary folk, uh, the the news is still not great Mm. (laughs) in terms of, you know, uh, equality. Even in Australia, you know, there's a a huge gender pay gap. Um, There's all kinds of unspoken rules in the workplace uh, that include things like, you know, lack of mentorship and even where where, uh, non-men are mentored, they're not always sponsored by by senior staff so there's a whole bunch of things here that that um we really should be talking about yeah I think when it comes to gender especially lately everyone's just so sensitive to it one way or the other to react and especially in the media I always wonder so I think there was a situation where 
Mr. Potato Head announced that they um, were removing the Mr. from their name. And, you know, there was a lot of positive and negative feedback, like, oh, what a joke, the world's too PC. Do you think this type of movement for companies, do you think it hinders or helps in that sense? Because obviously it's a great um, initiative moving forward, but the backlash and attention for someone that would be struggling with their gender or, you know, has their own personal thing, it almost feels like it cancels each other out. I don't know. I could be wrong here, but... Yeah. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I guess I'm an optimist and, I'm sa- and I'll am say then that, that this is the kind of resistance that happens during any paradigm shift. You know, the, the old guard have a lot invested in the old paradigm and uh, they don't give up easily. Uh, and, and what ends up happening is often generational change, you know, and just take our mind back to, Uh, marriage equality, for example. You know, Mm. it's not that long ago that nowhere near a majority of people in Australia supported marriage equality. It was quite quick how that switched, you know. It certainly doesn't feel quick, I'm sure, for people who were excluded. Um, But but in sociological terms, it was was fairly quick. So so there's always some resistance but it doesn't mean that the change is not going to come. And, you know, to me, how could it be anybody's business what gender Mr Potato Head or, or Potato Head is? It's just that we have this big investment in the old ways of thinking and we can feel very threatened by any change. And, mm. you know, if, if I tell you what my pronouns what my pronouns are she her but um if I were to tell you that my pronouns were something that wasn't commonly used a little while ago people tend to think well that's an attack on them that Mm. they need change and I think uh over time that that sort of goes away you know I I hope that um, when we're when we're ten years into having marriage equality, nobody that had a, a sort of a traditional heterosexual marriage uh, is going to say that it hurt them. Yeah, and you know? I guess we're seeing that as well. You know, you mentioned resistance to change right now with the vaccine. Oh yeah, that is just dividing people left, right, and centre. You know, even. It is. Um, some of my closest friends, like, it's just, it's bizarre, the world we're living in right now, where it just feels like there's so much hate going on when really we should be coming together. Yeah. And I think, I think there's a lot of policing going on from both Mm. sides. You know, it's not okay to, to express any opinions that are different. So um, that, that's a, that's tough times. And I, I really think, it is important for us all to take that deep breath and go, look, we're all feeling threatened in, in one way or another and try to find some common ground. And there yeah. will be common ground. There always is. It's just that it takes a while for, for it to, to kick in. And, and I'm not sure that, you know, I probably sound like a conspiracy theorist, but um, <laughs> I'm not sure that it's, it's in certain people's interest for us to find common ground. I think squabbling sometimes, you know, yeah. suits, 
suits vested interests, maybe? I don't know. Now I'm being a radical. In a minute, I'll say a swear word so that we get taken off air and and everything will be okay. (laughs) Breaking down the fourth wall, before um, I hit record, I was actually saying, you know, we can edit it out if you swear or whatever. And then you said that there is some real deep psychology behind swearing. So we have to address it now that you've said it. What do you mean by that? Swearing is fascinating topic psychologically. Um, you know, there's a really quite well-known study, or now it's a series of studies, where they found that uh, people could... So, so the, par- the experimental paradigm is you, the participants have to stick their arm in ice water. And that hurts quite mm-hmm. quickly, right? So some of the participants were allowed to swear... And other participants were told to say a a word like table or chair or some neutral word. They were allowed to yell it, scream it, whatever they wanted, but it it was a neutral word. And that experiment turned up results where the people that were swearing could uh, hold their hand in the water for longer so they were able to withhold pain more. Subsequent... um, Studies showed that that, the extent to which they could do that was linked to how forbidden it was to swear in their childhood. So people for whom it was a very big no-no, they were not allowed to swear, they had more of this pain attenuating effect. So, So the more it was forbidden when they were kids, the more of this pain killing effect swearing has so that's super fascinating to me there you go so because swearing is more to me I think it is fair to say that it's more acceptable now than it was you know when I was growing up for example might indicate that that's not going to work anymore because it's just another word and that potency is going to be gone and it's just the fact that it's forbidden that gives it that power. It's just a, a bunch of, you know, sounds. Words, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't have any particular power except the power that we give it by making it forbidden. That's so fascinating. Yeah, if you think about it that way, we could just make any word a swear word. Well, Drink I, bottle. I, well, I think it was the 1600s. One of the worst swear words was trousers. What? Yes, you didn't talk about that. And anybody that's that's learned to swear in other languages, it's hilarious because you it means nothing to you because you don't have that cultural background. But you see, it's so fascinating to see when other people react to you saying something that is just a bunch of sounds to you. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, there you go. Uh, so you've been at Southern Cross University for twelve. 400 years yeah <laughs> working yeah. here since 2009 but I studied here I did the second half of my undergrad degree here I did my honours year here and I did my PhD here Amazing. so then then just can't get rid of me <laughs> and how have you found the people at Southern Cross oh they're wonderful it's such a um I think the people that that love it here are the ones that see the value in democratising education. I 
am here for students who don't know anyone who's been to university before, you know, or, or Indigenous students, like in psychology, there is so there are so few indigenous psychologists in Australia. It's absolutely appalling. Um, and you know, if I can facilitate the education for indigenous students to come along and go out there and work with mob with their own cultural understanding, um, that just means so much. And and people who otherwise wouldn't be getting tertiary education, that's absolutely what I'm here for. I'm first in family um, myself to attend university. I had a corporate, I had a career in corporate management before I, I came and, you know, did my PhD here. And um, it was something that as a kid, I couldn't have imagined doing. Uh, and I think it just enriches society so much to enable all students who want to to have access to higher education. Yeah, absolutely. So your work is fascinating and I feel like I could read articles on articles about it. Do you have anything, it's like what's your next research yeah. project or what's something that you've My got next- in the past? Yeah. Okay. So that's that's a really easy question to ask because I plan to do this last year in 2020, and um, things sort of went off the rails, you know. <laughs> so I'm planning to do Australia's national pleasure audit uh, at the end of this year, where I am going to survey a large survey in Australia to see what it is that gives Australians the most pleasure. Uh, how good we are at savouring those pleasures and uh, just just be able to articulate much more um, what where our pleasures are coming from, what are the, you know, things that are associated with that. We know that well-being is associated with um, pleasure and savouring pleasure. And I guess it's another way to just really <laughs> proselytize and get everybody to embrace the idea of focusing and putting their attention into the pleasure in their life rather than the risks and and the threatening things. Yeah, I think that will be really beneficial because something that might be pleasurable to one person, the other person would never consider it. So, you know, you discover things and you can almost try new pleasures from other people. That's Uh, it. So I'm hoping to run it in Australia this year and to work with some collaborators overseas and take snapshots in other countries as well. But first things first, I've just got to get myself (laughs) organised to get this first one going. Oh, yes. Well, it's hard to organise anything in 2021 if we've learned that it's a mission. Maybe you should, like, give out chocolate while you order people, you know. Here's a pleasure. Maybe, except I'm really hoping to have a very large sample size and I don't really have much budget, so I'm not (laughs) sure about the chocolates. Maybe just... A very lovely, smiling thank you. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, that works too. I mean, you did say earlier quality over quantity. So, yeah. Exactly. (laughs) 
Awesome, Desiree. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I've really been inspired by what you said. And I think, as you said earlier, it is important to appreciate the little things, especially last year and this year. I hate that I'm saying last year and this year. Like it's still continuing on. But I think, yeah, we've definitely tried to find pleasures considering we've just been locked inside our house anyway. We haven't had much to work with. And I think now is the perfect time to continue to explore that while our brains are already wired to kind of have to appreciate the little things. So I think your work's really great and I'm really interested to see where you go with that. And feel free to audit me with my (laughs) pleasures. I promise I won't say chocolate. (laughs) <laughs> and I hope that you're going to write in the skipping and blowing bubbles. Yeah. I might have an afternoon skip today and I'll report back to you. Good. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, Yasmin. Mm-hmm.